to Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 for our study this morning. And put a finger in Deuteronomy 8 and Deuteronomy 27. So Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 27, and Joshua 8, verse 30 through verse 35 will be our text this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, your kindness and your unconditional love. Thank you for the gift of your son and eternal life. And thank you, Jesus, that you're in our midst. You tell us in Revelation 2 that you're in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And Jesus, we trust that you're with us right now. We ask that you would reveal your presence. We're here to spend time with you, to draw near to you. More than a Bible study, we want to enter into you, Jesus. You're, you're the truth. You're the way. You're the life. Would you remove distractions and give us ears to hear and hearts to understand? And Would you protect us from pride? Would you put us in that place of giving you glory when you bring about victory in our lives? Please give me grace and clarity and strength in teaching your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses is dead. There's a whole generation that's perished in the wilderness because of unbelief. Joshua has been commissioned to be the new leader. God tells him to be strong and of good courage, to meditate upon God's word day and night so that he can practice it and he can do it. He sends two spies into the promised land where they hear the testimony that God has already defeated the hearts of their enemies. The first step into the promised land was nothing less than a step of faith. The priests had to take the Ark of the Covenant and step into the flooded waters of the Jordan. As they crossed into the promised land, setting up the memorial stones, God had news for them and said, okay, all of the men have to be circumcised, trusting the Lord to be their protection as they're vulnerable. Then the commander of the army of the Lord, no one less than Jesus Christ in the pages of the Old Testament, confronts Joshua with his, drawn, his sword drawn. Joshua asks the most important question in the book of Joshua, and he says this. He says, what do you want my servant to do? Joshua's humbled by the presence of Jesus Christ. He's ready for Jesus to lead this charge into the promised land. So important, church, for us as well, because this isn't just a historical lesson for us, but God wanting to take us deeper into his promises, deeper into his heart. We've got to get to that place where we surrender and are ready to follow. Well, you know the story. God calls, his phone rings for us, and he says... I want you guys to go into Jericho, march around these walls seven times on the seventh day, one time each day, the seventh day, seven times shout, the walls fall, a great victory, except for one man, Achan, we know he hid, didn't he? He hid some of these accursed things under his tent. He trespassed against a holy God. Because of that, as the children of Israel take on Ai without prayer, overconfident, they experience their first defeat. Joshua's on his face, crying out to God, feeling that they've been forsaken by the Lord. God speaks to Joshua, says, get up. It's time to start over. And we saw that last week, that God's a God of reconciliation, restoration. He wants us to get up and to go back to those places of weaknesses and start Again, and that's where we find ourselves in this study of Joshua in our text this morning. So if you'd read with me from verse 30 down to verse 35, 
Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel, as it's written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has welded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, and they sacrificed peace offering. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law which he had written. Then all of Israel with their elders and their officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who bore, was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all of the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua didn't read before all of the assembly of Israel, with men, the little ones, and the, with women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Why do we slow down our pace as we go through the book of Joshua? Just to look at five verses. You could summarize these verses in just a couple of sentences, but I think it's significant because we're at our greatest danger spiritually when God blesses and God brings about a victory. And we're going to learn this morning, how do you handle victory? We've looked at how you handle defeat, but how do you handle it when God does move in your life and he blesses you? Those are the times where we can easily drift away from the Lord. And I want to suggest to you that it may be harder to handle blessing in a godly way than it is to handle difficulty. And you're saying, well, I'd like to sure try. I'll try at handling the blessing. But when we study the scriptures, these men of God, these women of God, they faltered when they were blessed. That's when they drifted away from the Lord. Because when things are difficult, we tend to press into God. We cry out to God. We fall on our face before the Lord. And when God blesses and things are going well, that's when we can easily drift from the Lord. So I want us to look a little bit at the background of this, because God had warned the children of Israel at this point when they get into the land. So if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to read verse 11 down to verse 20 first. And then we'll get into our text this morning. So Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, just one book over to your left in your Bible, or one click on your iPad, either way. So Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, God gives a warning. He says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest, when you've eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. When is this warning applied to them? It's when they're in the land, they've eaten, they're full, they build beautiful houses. God wanted to bless his people. He wanted to bring them into this land, but God also knows their hearts that this is when it's easy to forget God. To forget God by not being obedient to his word. So it's after you've been to Five Guys Burgers and Fries and you're feeling satisfied. It's after a 4th of July barbecue. It's after you're able to pay rent and pay mortgage and actually have some to put into savings. It's those times where you feel a little bit of stability in your life. God says, be careful, watch out. You think of some of the things we're warned about, a gas leak. We think about 
a rattlesnake, a garden of the gods. There's some danger there. And God's saying, look out, watch out. When things are going well, when you're being blessed, that's a time where it would be easy to forget the Lord. Verse 13, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart's lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who led you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he may humble you, that he may test you to do you good in the end. God wants us to remember all that he's brought us through, where we were at before we received Christ as our Savior, our own Egypt, his faithfulness to us in the lean times, his supernatural provision in the wilderness. When things are going well, we can forget that. Here's also part of this warning in verse 17, that you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Can't we do that so easily? We don't realize this is the gift that God has given to me. We think it was my hard work, my good ideas, those type of things. We want to pat ourselves on the back. It's easy for Israel to go down that line of thinking. And God's saying, be careful that you don't do this. In verse 18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Then it shall be, if you, by, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Joshua was to be in the word. He would be meditating upon Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Torah. I believe he's meditating on these sections of scripture as well as Deuteronomy 27. And he knows we've got to stop this military campaign. We've just had a victory after a defeat. We need to be careful to give God the glory. So this is the background. Now let's go back to Joshua chapter 8 and look at verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. We'll talk more about the significance of Mount Ebal, but for right now in our study, it's 25 to 30 miles from Ai, where they just had this victory. So it's a lot of work to take the whole multitude, the whole nation of Israel from Ai to go up into the central part of Israel to Mount Ebal. Then what do they do? They build an altar. And altars are significant as you study in the Old Testament because it implies worship. So when God brings about a victory in your life, the first thing that you want to do is build an altar in worship. Is stop, go out of your normal routine and worship the Lord and thank him for what he's just done in your life. If you get a promotion, if you get a raise, instead of going, wow, I deserve this, this was a long time coming, go, Lord, I know that this is from you. Every good and every perfect gift is from you. This is favor that you've bestowed upon me. Lord, thank you that you've allowed me to pay the bills this month. Thank you that you've allowed me to pay the mortgage. If God blesses you with a spouse, that's God's hand. It wasn't your good looks or your charismatic personality. We'd like to think that. I mean, that's true in my case. 
it's, it's God's favor. It's God's blessing. My wife is God's blessing in my life. And I want to build an altar and thank God for her. God's blessed you with children. That's a miracle from the Lord. That's his hand and his gift. And to be able to thank God for the precious heritage that he's given to us in our children. You know, in our health, if he's given us health, Lord, thank you that you've given me the strength to be able to, to go to work. The list just goes on and on. If God allows you to share Christ with somebody, someone responds to the gospel, that's God's work. We don't want to take credit for it, but it, sometimes we'll be tempted to do so. So we want to have built in us, we're going to build an altar to the Lord. We go out of our way. We go out of our routine. This isn't something that Joshua normally did. And I think he saw a pattern of it in Genesis. Noah actually built the first altar to the Lord after the flood. He took time to worship God and thank God for the deliverance. Abraham was one who built many altars in worship. His son Isaac dug a lot of wells, but Abraham was a worshiper and he built a lot of altars. So it's going out of our normal routine of worship, which is important, and saying, I am going to worship God. Remember the woman in the gospel? She had the alabaster box. She broke the box, anointed Jesus' feet, and then wiped his feet with her hair. That was out of the box. Broke the box, out of the box, you know? But I appreciate her creativity. I appreciate her heart. She said, I want to do something special for the Lord. And we need to apply that in our lives when the Lord brings blessing because we are at a dangerous place in our lives if we don't give God the worship and the glory that he intends. I think that we see some examples in our culture of how this is not done well. And we also see many examples in the scripture. And I'm not bringing this up to pick on him, but General Petraeus, uh, I think, is an example of how pride can come into somebody's heart when success comes in. And it's very difficult to have that kind of success. I mean, we could look at General Petraeus and go, well, maybe I could do better. But success is a very dangerous thing. Power is a very dangerous thing. And he may not have realized it, but he was blessed by God. I mean, God raised him up and ultimately gave him that position. And here he is, the director of the CIA, and thinking that he can hide an affair with his mistress. And somehow they can keep their emails a secret. If anybody knew better, it should have been General Petraeus, right? But it's an example, isn't it, of how when we don't give glory to God for what he's doing in our lives and the victory that he's doing in our lives, pride just takes over. It's not a question if pride will take over. It will take over in all of our hearts if we don't build an altar and worship to God. If you're taking notes, write down 2 Chronicles 26 because we're introduced there to a famous king in Israel named Uzziah. And the scripture tells us that when he sought God, God blessed him. And isn't that true? So many times you seek the Lord, you put God first, and God begins to be gracious in your life. God helped him defeat the Philistines. It wasn't his work, it was God's work. And then Uzziah was able to build up the country. He built these fortified walls and towers at the corner of the walls. 
He also did some great things with his army to where he had body armor and, and shields and helmets and spears. He was inventing new weapons from these towers to be able to catapult stones. The scriptures tell us he had farms and vineyards and, and wells and there was this great strength and security that could come around him. And instead of God giving, giving God the glory, he got prideful. And I want to read this about his, his life the scriptures tell us that for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Isn't that interesting? He was helped until he became strong, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. He goes into the temple, steps over God's command, takes the job of a priest, burns incense in the temple. He wasn't to do that. The only king and priest was to be who? Jesus. He was king, but he was also priest. So here come 81 priests, the chief priest with 80 other priests saying, you can't do this. And instead of responding in repentance, he got furious. And the scriptures tell us that he was then struck with leprosy and he had leprosy the rest of his life. That's an example of what not to do when God blesses us. In that place of strength, be very careful. May we be very careful to build an altar and to give God the glory. Verse 31. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has welded any iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. We're to never put man's mark on God's work. This comes from Deuteronomy 27. God had commanded these things through Moses. When you get into the land, I want you to build an altar. But then I also want these stones to not have man's mark on it. Why is this? Because what is the tendency of man? If the altar is really impressive, people are going to focus on that instead of God. If the altar's covered with gold, if it's got this amazing inscription upon it, and you come up to the altar and you're like, wow, who did this? This is incredible. But the whole intent of the altar was not to draw attention upon the altar, but to point to God. And I think this is a principle for us as we live our lives that has to do with victories. When God does bless and bring success and bring prosperity, what do we do? Oh, this is my chance to leave my mark. This is a chance for people to know something about me. Or do we understand, no, this was God's work. This was God's doing. And it's a chance for me to point to his glory. And this will define us, what road that we choose. Are we going to be an altar where we put our mark on it? Are we going to be an altar that's very simple, that's very plain, that very quickly points to the glory of God? John the Baptist, he did this well. In his ministry, his job was to point people to Jesus. That's the same for us. And in John 3, the Gospel of John, they come to John the Baptist, and they say, John, you should probably be concerned because your ministry is diminishing. Everybody's leaving to go follow this guy that's baptizing out in the Jordan. And that can be difficult on anybody's ego. It's never easy on a pastor when people are leaving the church. We tend to always take it, take it personally, right? And John the Baptist, what does he do? He doesn't get his feelings hurt. He doesn't get concerned. He goes, you know what? Nothing is given except from God. I know that God had given me this season 
And then he says that the friend of the bridegroom rejoices for the marriage and that he's not the Christ. John the Baptist is not the Christ and his job was to point people to Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. That's our job. If people encounter us and they're talking about us, we've missed it. If they encounter us and they talk about Jesus, that's success. That's our heart. We're pointing people to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure is Jesus, we're the earthen vessels. In the New King James Version, earthen vessels sounds pretty, woo, like, wow, you're an earthen vessel. But what does it mean? You're a clay pot. That's not near as impressive, is it? See, the purpose of God putting his son in clay pots is not for people to talk about the clay pot, but for people to talk about Jesus, the treasure. If you've ever gone out to shop for nicer jewelry, I've only done it once when I proposed to Amber. It's probably time for me to do it again. But you'll know, you find, you ladies know this, that the ring, the diamond, it's always in a black box, a plain black box, because the purpose is what? To point to the treasure. And that's us. We're not pointing to our personality. We're not pointing to anything about us. We're pointing to the treasure, Jesus Christ. Paul said he didn't preach himself. He preached Christ. I think this is important for us. We live in an incredibly self-centered culture, don't we? Where we can easily enter into this, where we start off doing something that it's holy, it's good, it's building an altar, but we know the motivation in our hearts is to bring attention to ourselves instead of bringing attention to the Lord. God's not going to share his glory with anybody. That's one thing that he's very passionate about, and we need to be careful to give God the glory, to not put our mark on God's work. Verse 32 through verse 35, they remember and recommit to God's word. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he had written. So Joshua was there with everybody gathered, and he's carving on the stones the law of God. God blesses. We understand the danger for pride to come in. We quickly build an altar. We get on our face before God, thank him, give God glory, point other people to him, to his work, and then we need to get into God's word as quick as we possibly can. Because God's word's going to level us, center us about who God is, about who we are. We remember his word. We recommit to God's word. Maybe find a verse that capsulates this victory that God's brought and write it down and share it with others. And that's what Joshua does here. He begins to take God's word and put it out in front of the children of Israel. Verse 33, then all of Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well, who was born among them. Everybody gathers together, and scripture mentions also the strangers. And I love this. There's non-Jews, ethnically, that are now part of the people of God. When we get to the Great Commission in the Gospels, where God tells us to go into all the nations and make disciples, it wasn't that that's the first time that God thought about the nations. If you carefully read the scriptures, God's a missional God where the nations have always been upon his heart. So you have Egyptians, you have non-Jewish people that have come and been part of the children of Israel. 
So half of them are in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. So in Deuteronomy, God said, these two mountains, Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, this is where you're to go. And from Mount Ebal, the curses are going to be pronounced. That is, when you disobey God's word, these are the consequences that come. And Mount Ebal, interestingly enough, means rocky, and it's more barren. There's not a lot of vegetation on Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim is just on the other side of the valley, and there's a little bit more growing there on Mount Gerizim, and that was to be the place of blessing. And in between was the city of Shechem. So in the midst of this military campaign, this is how important it is to stop and get into God's word and remember God's word and pronounce these blessings and these cursings, and it would remind the children of Israel these blessings are happening because we're obeying God's word. But if we don't obey God's word, then the curses are going to come into our lives. They're gathered there in verse 34. And afterward, he read all of the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that's written in the book of the law. So he reads these blessings and and these cursings. Verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with women, the little ones, the strangers who were living among them. Joshua has the courage to get everybody together to hear the word of God. And men, if we could be called out by the Lord, that we would be encouraged and challenged to lead our families in the word of God, to get our kids, our wives, friends, whoever, gathered together, hey, let's, let's get into the, the word of God. There's probably nothing more difficult to do as a family. We talk about spiritual warfare, try to read God's word with your family, because I think Satan knows the attack that happens. But Joshua knows the importance of God's word, and Joshua takes the lead here, and he says, the littlest of kids, you know, all the way up, we're going to hear the whole entire law. And they heard it in one sitting. Now, if you thought my sermons are long, I mean, this would be a long gathering, just sitting here and listening to the word of God. In our culture, in our society, we get very busy. And a lot of times, what's the first thing to go? It's the word of God. And it's inevitable that pride's going to come into my life, to your life, to our life, if we're not in, in God's word. The importance of his word. It never returns void. It always accomplishes the purposes that God has for us. A great place to start as we're leading and sharing with our families the word of God is what God's speaking to you. It's very relevant. So, so okay, kids, this is what the Lord's showing me. I've been in the book of Proverbs. I've been in the book of Mark and really appreciate these things about Jesus. And I want to pass those things on. And it doesn't always have to look like church where you sit down and you're like, okay, we're, we're having family Bible study. It can happen in the minivan. It can happen with your teenagers as you're grabbing coffee with them. You start asking them questions and you start sharing with them, this is what the Lord's showing me. Or they start opening up about what's going on in their life. And through that relationship and conversation, we're able to share the word of God. But where are the little ones, you know, going to get the word of God? Where are the teenagers going to get the word of God? They're not going to get it from culture. They're not going to get it from their friends necessarily. They're going to get it from their families, and they're going to get it from the church of God. Now, turn over with me to Deuteronomy 27, because I want us to understand exactly what they read. Deuteronomy 27, verse 11, and we'll go into Deuteronomy 28. 
We're going to do something this morning that we've never done at RMC at Rocky Mountain Calvary before. And that is, if you're on my left, so from this side over, in just a minute, I'm going to have you stand up. And you'll notice, if you look down in your Bible, that there's a place where all the people said, amen. And so as we read through, you're going to say, amen, wholeheartedly, okay? And you're Mount Ebal. So picture yourself at the base of Mount Ebal. And unfortunately, you are the Mount of Cursing, okay? So that's what you get for sitting on the left, okay? So... If you're over here on the right, you can look into chapter 28, the first 14 verses, and you're going to get to stand up and participate in reading the blessings with me. You guys ready? All right, on my left, you guys go ahead and stand up. If you're in the upper room, go ahead and stand up. In the cafe, go ahead and stand up. We'll read through this together, and when it gets to your part, you say amen. Do you know what amen means? Maybe you're like, amen. What does that even mean, right? Maybe you've heard that your whole life. It means so be it. It's a term of agreement. You're saying, I agree with what's being said here. So here we go. You'll pick up in about verse 15. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you've crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So you guys actually get to curse this side because they're Gerizim. So you're like, hey, this is what's up if, if you disobey the word of God. Okay, so that's, that's what's happening here. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all of the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved image or a molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. It's pretty good. I think you guys can do better. (laughs) Cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. All right. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind man to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, who does that? <laughs> who actually finds a blind person and says, Look, they're blind. We can lead them off the road. That's <laughs> like the peak of wickedness, I think. Verse 19. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. We together on that one? Amen. Okay. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Gross! Gross! That's just gross. (laughs) Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen! Cursed is the one who takes a bride, a bride, a bribe, to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen! Cursed is the one who doesn't Confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Hey, great job. You guys can have a seat. Now, if you sat on my right this morning, I've got to tell you, you you chose the wrong side of the sanctuary. 
you may want to permanently move to the left side. And this is why, because you've got a much harder job. I'm going to actually ask you to read out loud the even-numbered blessings, okay? So you've got to do more than just say amen. So even is 2468 and so on, all right? So why don't you guys stand with me? Go ahead and stand up with me. And we've got to get on the same page translation-wise, or this is going to get messy. So read it out loud with me if you have a New King James Version. If you don't have New King James Version, you're off the hook this morning, okay? So I'm going to start in verse 1. You join me in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments which I commanded you today, that the Lord God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? That blessings would actually overtake you. And verse three, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offering of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouse, in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he had sworn to you, if you can keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and that they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods and the fruit of your body and the increase of your flocks and in the produce of your ground and the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the works of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Hey, that's always a good thing, isn't it? I mean, who, who really wants to be the tail? You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I've commanded you today and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I've commanded you this day to the right hand to go after other gods to serve them. Hey, great job. You guys can have a seat. Doesn't that help you to better understand what they just did? As they were there on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. I've got to take you to one other mountain, and you can probably anticipate what that mountain is. It's the Mount of Calvary, because this is the old covenant, and we're under the new covenant. And obedience is important in our lives, but please understand the old covenant is if then. If you obey, then you're blessed. If you disobey, then you're cursed. There's no misunderstanding of that. The new covenant is it is finished. And the blessings of God, the favor of God, flow into our lives, not because of our good works, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He hung upon Mount Calvary, and he said, it is finished. In 2 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, all of the promises, all the promises of God are yes and amen in him, speaking of Christ. So God's promise and his blessing into my life come through faith and trust in what Jesus has done for me on Calvary. So you say, well, does obedience matter? Absolutely, because Titus tells us the salvation that we've received, the grace through salvation that we've received, it teaches us to deny ungodly lusts and to live righteously for the Lord. Think about it for just a moment. How far does law go in your life compared to grace? Someone could say, here's the law, and if you break the rules, here's the consequences, and you obey out of fear until you're out of that person's presence. But when someone pays the price for you, and they give you unconditional love, and you know you're accepted by them through their sacrifice, and then they come to you and say, I love you. I've got this way for you to live. You go, yeah, I want to rise to that standard because you've loved me, and you've graciously paid the price for me. So I hope that we understand that difference. We go from Mount Ebal to Mount Gerizim, then ultimately to Mount Calvary, where the blessings of God flow into our lives, and we obey out of that perspective. So here's three questions of application as we close. The first is this, is how do I respond to victory, blessing, and success? Ponder that for just a moment. When victory, blessing, success come into your life, how do you respond? Is your MO to to worship, to build an altar, or is it to get a little bit prideful and begin to pat yourself on the back? And then do I try to leave my mark or point to God's work? You know, Am I I wanting to leave my mark or am I wanting to point to God's work? And then finally, am I remembering and recommitting to God's word? The importance of remembering and recommitting to God's word. Would you stand with me?